Well, Justin, we're back and we've got another episode here. We obviously wrapped up a series not too long ago. Last week, we introduced a new question to the fold. And that's if you got all the money in the world, you're one of these you know, people who have worked obviously extremely dif- uh, hard to, to difficultly build your wealth, or maybe you won, won the lottery and just got lucky. But at the end of the day, the big question becomes, if you've got all the money in the world, you have all these resources, presumably, presumably you're pretty you know, smart with business, do you even need an advisory team at all? And the quick answer to that is, of course, uh, we yes. are a little biased, but I think we'll <laughs> lay out the the case for it, certainly, that you know, if you really look at, at the facts and what you're trying to accomplish, it always makes sense to have a team around yourself. You know, many people listening to this, athletes, business owners, I think everybody really understands the value of the team. But when we start to look at this as, you know, I think it would be fun to set the stage for some of the topics we're going to cover is what does that team actually look like? And how do I assemble the right team to be able to take care of my priorities, my family, et cetera? If I've got so much money, should I have a single family office? Should I have a multifamily office? Should I just go hire the turkey at the broker uh, brokerage <laughs> house? You know, like what are we really talking about? Is there a big difference? No secret, family office is the buzzword right now in the industry. It Lots of is. people calling themselves family offices. So maybe Justin, jump in. You know, when we think about calling ourselves a family office, which we've been doing for a long period of time, and really what we've been building. Where would you say, you know, what were some of the key elements that you say we focus on as we've built our solution and why we think they're so important? So it could it can boil down to three words, three eyes, we call it, and we'll focus on the probably the first one initially, but integrated, independent, and individualized. What you were alluding to, Brandon, in the team aspect of all of this really speaks to that integrated team, right? That's what the the team is. That's how you want the team to look. You want your tax professional to be integrated, or your taxes and your tax professional to be integrated with your investment manager, investment manager to be integrated with your estate planning attorney, et cetera, et cetera, and then on down the line. The integration, the left hand talking to the right hand, and we've hit on this throughout various different topics here, but it is such an integral part, really foundational to a family office, so to speak, because it allows you to, to optimize your wealth, to, to really make sure the left hand is talking to the right hand, everyone's rowing in the same direction, whatever you know, little anecdote or whatnot you want to highlight, the integrated nature of it is there to make sure you're maximizing all assets, if you will, or all aspects of your wealth to uh, accomplish the same goal. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's funny because we obviously see that as a huge benefit. If we're looking at a a family situation, we know, especially if you're in this high net worth or ultra high net worth being defined at least industry-wide, you know, 30 million or more in assets or net worth, taxes are absolutely critical to your situation, right? And so having that in-house makes a a tremendous amount of sense. I, I think it's tough to argue against that. People do try. We hear it all the time. The common argument against it is checks and balances. Obviously, anybody making that comment doesn't really have a good handle on what a tax CPA actually does. What they're probably looking for more is an audit type CPA. Right. Um, by all means, we we suggest going and doing that. If that's something of a concern to you, go hire an audit CPA. But if you're really thinking about optimizing your tax structure, having that team really integrated is going to always provide such a bang for your buck. 
And I think this one interesting aspect as we think about those families that do have hundreds of millions of dollars probably could go hire some of the individual people to come work for their quote unquote single family office. But this is where efficiency starts to get lost. Knowledge transfer starts to get lost, right? I would much rather, if I was in that position, rely upon a team that has a handful of CPAs at least that are able to to speak into my situation than maybe hiring just one or two uh, that might be in an echo chamber and not learning from other situations. So I think that that really integrated you know piece of a family office or a wealth solution, if you want to start taking the nomenclature off of it, is critical. And then beyond that, right, independent, because this is we're starting to see that the the waters get really muddied. We've oh, got yeah. the wirehouses, right? Clearly not independent, but have that family office terminology there. You got the new players, you know, Rockefeller buying an old name and just coming out and throwing lipstick on the pig, the new modern day kind of, you know, really brokerage house, but they are positioning themselves as a family office. Then we have really awesome, you know, solutions out there. Crescent Capital being one of them, you know, even iconic, like you have these really good firms that are true family offices. So maybe talk a little bit about the differences there and maybe what you know, that independent piece actually means to to these families' wealth. So uh, in- independence, quite simply, is the ability to go and find the best solution out there, whether it's from an investment standpoint, whether it's from a, a tax planning standpoint or, t- or tax software standpoint, the best estate planning attorney, whatever the case may be, you are not beholden to some other piece of an organization to dictate where the best solution can be found. It is it is a completely open playing field to be able to seek out the best solution. That is missing specifically on the wirehouse side of things, but it's also starting to, to bleed in, as you were kind of alluding to, into what we call the independent channel. What these are this is independent, what are called registered investment advisors, which is what we are. But it, it it's you mentioned Rockefeller, it's starting to, to bleed into firms like that, where these are such large institutions where the compliance side of it, which can be a very, very good thing and positive thing, but it can also be very restrictive, starts to, to look and smell and feel very similar to the traditional wirehouse, big bank type solution where, where the platforms have to go through a, or the products and solutions and advice has to go through a very rigorous and onerous compliance approval process to actually be able to be used. In some cases, it's purely a risk mitigation question where, hey, we're not going to touch advice on a specific area because there's too much risk or liability that a client could come back to us for bad advice, right? All of these things start to play play a role and start to counteract this idea of independence and best-in-class advice. And so it's it's really important to, to be thoughtful around the, the structure, right? Independence makes a lot of sense, but like you said, like you were alluding to, and I've mentioned the industry, our side of the industry, the independent side of the industry is changing quite a bit. And independence, this, this idea of independence is blurring a little bit. One other item I would say as well is the onset of private equity coming into the RIA side of the business, the ind- again, the independent channel, as we call it. And, and why I bring that up is, it, again, it's, it's all kind of a spectrum here where lines start to get blurred. The private equity money coming in it it removes the actual equity holder from the direct contact with the client. It's the old Goldman as a partnership 
before they went public. Goldman Sachs, for those of you who don't know, or a while back, not too long ago, but used to be a privately traded partnership. And that is where the Goldman name and reputation truly comes from because the partners, the equity holders were directly involved with the client experience and, and the deals that they were doing. And that all gets a little bit blurred as you remove uh, you, were, you, you take a step back, if you will, from the direct client interaction, the equity holders and di direct client interaction and in th in that relationship. And things start to get blurred and fuzzy and, and not necessarily in the best interest of the client at the end yeah, of the day. I'm glad you brought that up, Justin, because at the end of the day, I think it's so second nature to me. But when I think about independent, that's such a critical piece of the of the definition, right? It's actually having an independent ownership body, you know, really employee owned at the end of the day, right. you know, it, you, you start to serve another master when you start to take in capital from outside sources, right? You have all this private equity money come in, you've got to produce a return. It changes your decision-making. There is absolutely no doubt about it. You no longer, it's, it's publicly traded companies. It's it, them reporting, right? Their duty of loyalty is to the their shareholders, yeah. not to the end client. Whereas if you continue to maintain this independence, you maintain private ownership amongst your employees, it makes it a lot easier to continue to put that client at the very center. I think we've talked about this before. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have a, a conversation with a uh, CEO of a very large financial, independent financial group. And he's he was in a study group with 12 other uh, very large US-based uh, financial groups. And I think he said, you know, 18 months ago, all 12 were independently owned and he's the last one standing. It was some, <laughs> some time frame like that. But it's actually kind of sad just to see, you know, where our industry is going. And not all of it's bad. I don't want to put that out there. Sometimes there is really good reasons for it. Right. But at the end of the day, you do have to ask yourself, am I as the client at the center of this? Are they, is this firm pouring back in the resources to make sure that everything is going towards my priorities, my financial structure? And I think that brings us to this last point, right? Individualized. If you are, I would argue anybody, but certainly if you are a high net worth, ultra high net worth type person, I mean, you trigger my brain when you said private, but you think about the individual nature of this. Now you start to bring in, you know, private investment opportunities. The tax planning goes, you know, above and beyond. Not to even, I mean, the estate planning is absolutely critical in this piece. So maybe, you know, I, this is somewhat of an introduction of the weeks to come, but, you know, speak to that a little bit and what you see, even when you're building investment portfolios for some of these, these ultra high net worth clients. Short answers, no, no two clients are, are the same. And that speaks directly to the individualization and, and customization that that needs to happen within a, a family office. But it also speaks to something you mentioned earlier, which is the diversity of thought, right? And that's an argument against having a single family office where the downside of a single family office is there. there's one situation that's kind of consistently coming up. And so you're not seeing different things and being able to look at a question from a different angle or a, a problem from a different angle. Whereas with a multi, true multifamily office, the individualized aspect of it gives you this really interesting breadth of experience and able and training ability to, to look at a problem from a, a number of different angles and really at the end of the day, come, come up with what's the best solution, an individualized solution, but drawing on interesting experiences across the overall client base. 
so going back to individualization specifically, I mean, everyone has different charitable intent. Some people don't have charitable intent at all, and that's totally fine. Some people think about kind of charitable and, and leaving money to their next generation, and that's their impact. Other people have the desire to give everything away and thoughtfully planning around that, making sure liquidity of their wealth actually is, is structured in a way that will allow them to give away their wealth when they want to give it away. I mean, that piece of it ties into the multi-generational transfer of wealth and it also ties into their, their own funding of their day-to-day lifestyle as well, right? Everything is, is so unique, especially as wealth levels start to increase that the flexibility and and creativeness, if you will, becomes paramount. It becomes so important within a wealth solution, like you said, to kind of use a more generic term here. And, and a lot of what happens in the industry is, is taking some sort of more cookie cutter based approach because they want to build a much more scalable business. Again, there are good solutions out there. there we're not trying to just disparage you know, all the whole industry and say, hey, we're the best. We think we are. But, but to be fair, there are some good solutions out there. But there's a pretty powerful difference between true individualization and customization and kind of a, let's say, a one-size-fits-all fits all type solution that is hey, let's, we're going to go through your goals. We're going to tailor it to your unique situation. There's a big difference between those and a lot of the industry falls into that latter bucket, really. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And hopefully some of this has resonated with you guys that are listening. Uh, we're going to take a little deeper dive, like I mentioned, over the next few weeks and get a little more technical kind of in these different ways, maybe, you know, how tax planning is different for a person uh, in this ultra high net worth space. How's the estate planning different? Maybe even granularly, like how do we think about building portfolios? How do we think about the private side? And I think there's lessons for anybody of any wealth throughout this. Uh, But if this conversation resonates with you, you really think, hey, this this sounds like something that, you know, I'm really interested in. Maybe maybe I'm missing from my situation or maybe you're a client and and you just want to hear a little bit more about how we think about things. I think this next little series is going to be pretty insightful and hopefully you know, just something that will bring a lot of value to you on a daily basis. But before we close out again, I keep saying the text number. So hopefully some texts keep flowing in here. Uh, that text number is 602-704-5574. We'd love to, you know, get in touch with you, kind of go back and forth, answer questions as we dig into this series. But until next time, own your wealth, make an impact and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.